When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why am I with Seabus Super? Because I'm a builder and they take care of me. Well, I had an accident on the work site and they helped me out, no worries. Yeah, they helped me out real fast. Mate, they just get me. Because they are for all of us. Seabus, for all of us. To consider if Seabus is right for you, visit seabussuper.com.au for a copy of the PDS. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. Welcome to Storytime, a wholly owned subsidiary of the Final Word Cricket Podcast. We are your hosts. There are two of us. I'm Jeff Lemon. The other one is Adam Collins. The shouting baby you may hear in the background at times is Winifred May, who is hungry. It's lunchtime. I've been known to cry when it gets close to lunchtime as well. On Storytime today, we will be wandering back through cricket history, the annals of the game past. We'll be having a chat at the end of the show with a very funny cricket-obsessed author Dan Liebke, who has a new book coming out. And we're looking forward to anticipating, uh, tremulously awaiting our live Zoom show with SCG McGill, a Stuart McGill former Australian leg spinner, will be chatting to us on November the 12th. It'll be about 8pm Australian East Coast time, which will be about 9am in the UK. It'll be a live online stream for anyone that's on our patron page or you'll be able to secure a pass separately if you want to watch that show as we will put the hard questions and the not so hard questions to one of australia's most charismatic and interesting bowlers have i forgotten anything Adam? no that's a great intro jeff uh well done hello good evening to you yes it is lunchtime here in london I saw last week that Warney's son is on a reality TV show uh, at the moment and had there was a story, which I don't know how this ended up in my feed, that he's only eaten 10 foods uh, through his life, which I thought was pretty interesting. It included like bacon and tacos and bread and cereal and a couple of things. Winnie's mm. had more than... But there are a lot of foods in tacos. I True. mean, you're just talking... Like, you're not just talking the shells, I, I assume. I don't want to assume anything in this case. But, you know, <laughs> a, a, an average taco might have some beans in it, some maybe a bit of rice, some lettuce, some tomatoes, some cheeses, yeah. a range of Well, that, that, that's, a, that's a, fair, uh, a fair caveat on that. Uh, but, I mean, I think he said he has two hamburgers for lunch every day as part of that after going to the gym and, and you know, whatever, make your own choices, do what you need to do. But Winnie's had more than the 10 foods in the two months she's been eating solids. So I think she's got mm. she's got young Warney covered. Anyway, I digress. Yes, we have got Stuart <laughs> McGill, another league spinner, coming to join us on Final Word Live, as it were. That's Thursday, a Thursday night, the only thing I'd add to your intro. So Thursday the 12th of November, 
anyone that was with us for the Damien Fleming Zoom back in April or May, whatever it was, the first lockdown, will know broadly how it goes. We'll interrogate Megillah for a bit at the start, then there'll be a question and answer. It was a lot of fun last time. So if you are already a member of our Patreon, that link will be sent to you before we go to air on the night. If you're not, what a great time to sign up. You can, um, of course, be part of supporting the show, part of Nerd Pledge, all the fun on Storytime, but the golden ticket, as it were, to a Zoom chat with SCG McGill. And I think we'll skew this one a bit less to us talking and a bit more to you talking. So we'll have more room for question time uh, at the end of the broadcast and so on. So looking forward to that. We have, well, it, it's it's going to be a Saturday when you're listening to this, if you listen to it when it comes out. If not, then it's whatever the day is of your choosing. At the time that we're recording it, it's a Friday night. We've got a WBBL round happening on the weekend, four games on Saturday, four games on Sunday. There's a triple header at Blacktown, I think it is, three games in a row at the same ground, which is going to be interesting considering there's a lot of um, thunderstorms forecast. So I think they'll get cricket in at some point in Sydney, but I'm not sure that they're going to get three games back-to-back on the same ground in. Yeah, well, we talked about this on the the weekly show, didn't we, that the scheduling left a bit to be desired, having clumps of games on one day in Sydney where it's notorious uh, for for having games washed out uh, due to rain, but... Hopefully for your sake, Jeff. Are you going to be at the triple header or are you at the other game? Yeah, I, I'm at the, the triple header on the Saturday and then um, on the Sunday I'm in the peaceful surrounds of Drummoy Oval doing the updates. Oh, lovely. So th- there's not much more relaxed as far as cricket yeah. broadcasting goes than doing the updates line. You know, you run your own sitting in a little shed somewhere and they just cross to you once in a while and you say, oh, wicket's just fallen. Uh, how about hurricanes? Uh, four for 24. I think the first time I did the updates, maybe not the first time, one of the first times I was doing that, that job, I'd been at a wedding the night before in Hobart and had a fairly <laughs> decent tilt and got an early flight back to Melbourne, went straight to the MCG, uh, you know, did my job dutifully, but uh, in between uh, spots on the mic, I was laying on the desk watching sort of through one eye, trying to keep abreast of the action as I was battling my way through a <laughs> dreadful hangover, but I'm sure you'll be uh, more diligent than that and, and keep it together on Saturday night. Well, I, I don't really have any big plans for tonight, <laughs> but, but yeah, the last time I did updates from the MCG, the both front forks snapped off my bike on the way to the ground. Oh, that's I right. Completely ate shit yeah. um, and took all of the skin off one of my arms. I can't remember which. And so I arrived at the MCG just bleeding profusely, like literally <laughs> dripping blood onto the ground and had to get patched up by security at, at the um, turnstile before I could go on air. So, look, if it's less eventful than that, that will be great. Um, so, look, that's that's what we've got in the next couple of days. Uh, we've got Dan Liebke at the back, uh, Secrets, Peep Behind the Curtain. I've already done that interview. He's very funny. He usually is. So there's a fair bit to talk about, about his, his book about the greatest Australian cricketers, which he's ranked in a way all his own, I suppose. And uh, aside from that, I guess we should start getting into the, the historical side of what we do here on Storytime. And we are going to do that primarily our diving board with which to leap into the historical swimming pool will be the game of Nerd Pledge, the game we play on the final word. It's the game of nerds, the game of pledges, uh, the game that supports the show via people on that patron page. They sign up with a number. It's a number of dollars and cents but it's also a cricket number and they send us that and that helps us fund the show but also it poses us the question what does this number mean can we work it out sometimes we get a clue sometimes we don't but we've got 
digits, usually three of them. There's a decimal point in there that may or may not be relevant, but we've got to look at it uh, from the outside and try to work out what's going on. We start story time with a few new numbers from the pile, ones that we haven't looked at before. The first of which is $5.42, and it comes in from a Tom Stewart. Now, We've had a problem in the last couple of weeks because we've had multiple Tom Stewarts. We had a Tom Stewart who we thought was a different Tom Stewart and uh, thought about the number accordingly and then it wasn't. Now we've got this next Tom Stewart and I'm not sure if this is a third Tom Stewart or one of the original two Tom Stewarts. And as I've mentioned before, there's also the Geelong Football Club defender who's one of my favourite players who's also a Tom Stewart. Is he finally involved in the show? I don't know. I hope so. But if you're not that Tom Stewart, I'm glad you're here as well. Whichever one you are, welcome to the show with your 542. I reckon this might be Tom Stewart number three because Tom and Tommy. So we originally thought at 234, we went mm. with Bruce Reed in 1987, bowling that over to Alan Lamb, who subsequently hit 17 off five balls to win the game for England in a mm-hmm. one-day international. And look, it wasn't that, and we'll come back to that later, but the... Tom in question who actually submitted that number didn't reply when I asked whether he was back again for 542 so it's unclear whether we're at Tom Stewart number 3 or indeed Tom Stewart number 4 if the Geelong defender has jumped on our Patreon page so it's all a bit mysterious at this point what I do know is the 542nd um, test cricketer or 542nd man I should say to play test cricket for England was Nasser Hussain and NASA, we had on the final word earlier in the year. This would broadly line up with that. This this pledge was made not long after our long uh, conversation with NASA oh, yeah. during yeah, yeah, lockdown. Okay. So that would kind of work for me. However, um, going through the old figures, seeing that 5 for 42. 5 for 2, Jeff, you normally think that, that, that it's bowling figures when you see something like that, don't you? It's It's got that vibe. It's got that flavour. But where does that take you for 542? Well, just that there was a, a trio of left-arm Australian quicks who've taken 542 in international cricket. Which links you to Bruce Reid, who you mentioned just before. That's true, even though we're talking about different Tom Stewarts and different numbers. But it does link us to Bruce Reid, but no. He but it, it should, because your answer was great. The fact that your answer was wrong is notwithstanding. Your answer about <laughs> 234 and Bruce Reid deserved to be right. It's a very good answer. So we started from there with left-arm okay. fast bowlers. Where does that take us? Okay, well, Mitchell Stark took a 5 for 42 in a one-day National just at the start of his career in 2012 so when he was sort of taking off in in the white ball format then Mitchell Johnson the year after picked up 5 for 42 in broken fucking arm day so the second innings at Brisbane for England Ah. in in 2013 when he ran through England 21.1 overs 7 maidens 5 for 42 5 of the best there to kind of really get the party started in terms of his mental stranglehold over England in that series but I'm going to go Back to a test match that we've discussed a little bit on the final word before, but perhaps not adequately. So 1961 mm-hmm. was the Battle of the Ridge at Lords, the second test of that Ashes series. And Australia's attack was led by Alan Davison, a third left arm quick. Of course, Davo uh, has one of the, the greatest career analyses of any Australian fast bowler. I think he took his wickets at 20.7 or or something like that. But the ridge, this protrusion in the middle of the pitch at Lords mm-hmm. meant that it was chaos all week. We already talked about Garth McKenzie's Pfeiffer in the second innings, but Davo in the first innings picked up five for 42, which kind of got Australia going, bowling out England for 206. Normally when people talk about the Battle of the Ridge, they refer it to Bill Laurie, one of his greatest innings, if not his greatest contribution for Australia. He made 130, which was by far the biggest score in the match next highest total was 66 and Mm. that meant that Australia went on to win they ended up 
taking the Ashes 2-1 after knocking off England by 54 runs at Old Trafford later in the series. Another memorable match because they took a massive first innings deficit in and sure enough, once again, it was William Morris Laurie uh, coming up with the goods, making another century in that series and they went on to win the Ashes 2-1 but it all started at Lords with the Battle of the Ridge where Alan Davison picked up 5 for 42. Very good. I'll take that as an answer. When I hear the Battle of the Ridge, it makes me think that it should be a sale of the century special uh, with <laughs> involving Glenridge, you know, in which the contestants have to win his approval or, or affection, something like that. Okay, let's play the phone game. <laughs> <laughs> what is Glenridge up to these days? Okay. My favourite memory of Glenridge was, was when he had a cameo on um, Frontline. Frontline, yeah, yeah. Remember the, um, the satirical <laughs> TV show about a current affairs show in which the host of Frontline was accidentally faxing him all of their stories straight to Glenn Ridge, who was the Sale of the Century host on Rival Station Channel 9. And then he was sharing them with Ray Martin, who was um, who was like pinching all of the stories before they aired on Frontline. They'd be up on a current affair. That was Glenn Ridge's high point, I think. Yeah, it's a great twist. It's the last scene of that episode of Frontline. I think it's when the credits are rolling and you see Glenn calling, right, so Ray, today we've got running through the entirety of the Frontline run sheet. Uh, wonderful television show. I watched all the Frontline with Rach a couple of years ago, you know, having, of course, not grown up in Australia, had no knowledge of the show, and she thinks it's the funniest thing she's ever seen that I've showed her from Australia. So if you're from, uh, from England, I'm sure you can find it on one of the streaming services. Right. That is from one of our Tom Stewarts. We, we love you all equally. Um, there's no. That's like asking which is your favourite Tom Stewart. Impossible. That's the 542. We're going just a few numbers up for Niall Duxbury. And Niall has sent through $5.65. Or it could be £5.65. I, I should note that people can now send through... In, people in the UK can send through their own home currency and those in Europe can use it, you, euros. This is the magic of the internet. Now, Niall Duxbury mentioned that he's a Lancashire type. He's from Burnley up north. And so I suspect there is probably a link with this. But what did you make of 565, Adam? Yeah, I started going through 565 and then saw your link uh, to Burnley, which was nice because I was uh, on a page which would which would tie the whole thing together. Additionally, I was looking at 565 for 5, which was Australia's score against South Africa when Ed Cowan made his uh, one and only test century, which we oh, talked about as on we discussed. story time just last week. But yeah, again, you're thinking bowling figures and Richard Hadley took five for 65 in consecutive innings against Australia in Sydney, then Perth in November 1985, which I thought was quite nice and nerdy. Martin Bicknell's cap number, but he was a great Surrey man. And mm-hmm. I thought when I saw your clue to, to Lancashire, I realised that five four sixty five uh, were the figures taken by one James Anderson at Lords against India in 2011 uh, in the second inning. So it was a close test match. It could have gone either way, but they ended up setting in India 458 in the fourth innings. Bowled them out for 261. Jim takes five for 65, including Dravid, Lakshman and Sachin, a handy trio uh, up top. That's kind of the first series where Anderson and Broad dominate together. So like they had good individual performances, but as a duo, they mm-hmm. really start taking hold there. They picked up 46 wickets across the series. England win 4-0. Tim Bresnan also gets 16, but it's mostly Broad and Anderson. And yeah, England go to the top of the world rankings for the first time after winning uh, that series, sweeping it 4-0. So I thought, given the Burnley link and given that Anderson is Burnley's favourite son, that must be where Niall's at at 565. Very good, Mr. Anderson. 565. Thank you, Niall. Next new number comes in from David WFG, which 
immediately just makes me think of the BFG, but I'm not sure what the W stands for. It's like the wide friendly giant or like the <laughs> wet friendly giant, I don't know, aquatic sequel, I'm not sure. David WFG, thank you for your number $6.06, as in 606. If you put two 303 rifles together, you get a 606. What did you make of 606, Adam? Well, I mean, originally I was thinking batting averages and thought, I mean, you know, are we are we quite there as far as did anyone finish with a with a batting average of sixty point six? But no, I mean, Herbert Sutcliffe was was the closest mm, to close. that. Uh, of course, he. There's only a, pr- a couple in the sixties, yeah. Because there's Sutcliffe, and then there's uh, one of the South Africa. There's um, Pollock. Graham Pollock, and then there's Voges and Smith, and probably Labuschagne at the moment. Yeah, is there anyone else? No, but it, but it wasn't quite. I thought Sutcliffe straight away, but yeah, he was sixty point seven three, I think it was. But yeah, Sutcliffe making all those runs in the uh, in the interwar period for England. Then I had Brian Lara having made two hundred and seventy seven out of the West Indies six oh six. Again, a, a link back mm-hmm. to last week's story time, but I don't know. I'm not quite sure about that. I'm I'm never quite sold on the idea of it being in. A, a total of a team when we're thinking more about the player. Nobody's taken yep. six for six in a test match or a one-day international, which was kind of annoying. I thought it might have been that. But this is one of those, Jeff, where I said, I've had my go. Uh, why don't you work it out? Yeah, well, the clue that David gave us was a tribute to a legend of the game from an unorthodox background. And so that when there's some specificity in there, you've got to try to find ways to interpret that. So, I, I mean... I know you're always a fan of going to the cap numbers. I think on this show oftentimes it's just like, let's get a biography of some really obscure player via yes. Adam from the cap number. <laughs> it's like, like, all right, let's talk about this guy who played two tests in 1908. Cap number 606 has to be England because they're the only ones who go anywhere near that high. Usman Afsal, who played three tests early mm-hmm. this century, when... Not many Asian players were getting a gig for England internationally, so you could interpret unorthodox background in that way in that you know cricket's a pretty racially narrow sport in a lot of the countries where it's played. That's one possibility. If you interpret it rather than six for six as being 60 for six, six zero six, uh, Nathan Lyon conceded 60 runs and took six wickets in Chattagram in, in that test against Bangladesh. Mm. And if you wanted to talk about unorthodox background, there's always the uh, old Nathan Lyon used to be a groundsman line that gets rolled out. Gunn and Moore have a bat range called the 606, which is it's grade three, a superior seasoned unbleached grade three English willow. Minor blemishes may have some colour to one edge, fitted with good quality treble spring cane handle. Ben Stokes uses a GM, but I'm sure he would get grade one willow rather than grade three. And I also noticed that Ben Stokes' personal bats released by GM, they're not called the, the 606 or the 909 or whatever. They're DXM, which is puzzling for me because my only uh, familiarity with DXM is dextromorphothan, which is the chemical in really strong cough suppressants um, that's also highly hallucinatory if you ingest far more than the recommended <laughs> dose of cough syrup. Just something I've read about. But Naturally. There's that. None of those seemed really to link to to the particular answer. But the 606 that 
came to mind, there was one that came to mind because there was one that I looked at a lot of times in 2013, 14 when Brad Haddon was tearing up that Ashes series and I was wondering whether he'd break the record for the most runs by a wicketkeeper in a series and that record is 606 runs and that's South Africa's Dennis Lindsay who did it in seven innings ridiculously in 1966-67. It was the first time South Africa beat Australia in a test series. So he made 69 and then 182 in a big win at Joburg first up. Then he got smashed in the head and dismissed off the rebound catch in Cape Town for five and then got bandaged up and came out and made 81 in the second second innings while they lost and then they had a big collapse in the third test he made 137 revived the game set up a win at Durban 131 back at Joburg again as Australia just held on for a draw by two wickets when the rain came in and then he was out for one in his only innings at Port Elizabeth but wasn't required a second time because South Africa smashed Australia to win 3-1 so did Dennis Lindsay have an unorthodox background not necessarily he was a South African played cricket wasn't that unorthodox he was born in Benoni Benoni Hazelhurst but he's got the he's got the record for being the best wicketkeeper basically in the lowest average number of buys per test match conceded and so in that five test series he conceded six buys in the five tests which is also a record low for a series so that was their first win against Australia then they won again four years later and those were their only series wins until 2008 when they came to Australia and won three times in a row. Is it Dennis Lindsay with 606? I don't know, but it was a good story. Yeah, that's a great effort, Jeff. Uh, Well done reviving uh, that 606 where I was gone. So David WFG, let us know how we've gone. Next on the list today is 575, $5.75, £5.75 from Toffee. Jeff, I thought initially that this might be a Ravi fan. We've had a lot of Ravi-related Nerd pledges over the journey. Ravi made 575 test runs. So did Tim Bresnan, incidentally, who I've already mentioned on the show today. But it could be his international, well, his test runs. The only other 575 I was looking at was that was the tally that Australia made when Neil Harvey made his maiden test century. He made 153 against India on his home ground at the MCG in 1948. So just before uh, that famous tour of England uh, when he was still a teenager. But again, I, I don't usually like it being team tallies and players relating to that. So I'm going to once again uh, go to you, Jeff. I, my first thought was, is this Kumar Sangakkara's batting average? Because I know it was 57-something, but he was 57.4, not 57.5, nearly. Also, you take the wicket-keeping gloves off Sangakkara and his average goes up to 66.7. Ridiculous. But while I was looking that up, I also noticed that it is the exact test average, 57.5, of Abid Ali, who we were watching recently mm. when Pakistan toured England, the opening bat. Now, he's a batsman who also played in their welcome back tests at Royal Pindi last year when uh, test cricket got going in Pakistan for the first time since 2009. And he debuted in that series and became the only player who has ever made a ton on debut in both one-day internationals and test matches, which I know is a particular interest of yours, Adam. Nobody else has done it. Quite a few have done either. I know you've got all the test ones memorised, but he's the only one who's done both. So there was that, Abid Ali, we saw a fair bit of. Yeah, that's right. I suppose the only player who I can think of who went close to that was Philip Hughes, who made a century, indeed twin tons in his second test match, and of course a 100 at the first time of asking in one day international cricket at the MCG in, in 2013 it would have been. But yes, Abid Ali, that's, that's very tidy, Jeff, maybe. The only other thing I found was, in terms of bowling figures, quite common in test matches, but 
Five for 75, unlikely in a one-day international, but uh, Mustafitsa, the left arm, the fizz from Bangladesh, took exactly that, five for 75 at Lords last year when Pakistan were, were tailing up Bangladesh. So it was the second most expensive five for, I was thinking it might be the most, <laughs> but the second behind Adil Rashid, who got five for 85 in that crazy West Indies series about a year and a half ago when the scores were near 400 just about every time and mm. there was one game where he took wickets at the end and engineered an England win so the second most expensive five wicket haul in one day internationals maybe that's it Toffee 575 let us know yeah for all that Jeff I hope we go back to the start for Toffee remember 575 was the number of runs that Ravi Bapara made in test cricket and the reason I hope that works is that we've got a remarkably generous pledger next up Ian Gordon 31 94 so $31.94 uh, incredibly generous we're very grateful for it and 3194 happens to be Ravi's test batting average so there's two in a row for him could have his runs followed by his batting average and as we've always said we don't manipulate uh, how the numbers come in that's by pure coincidence but instead I took it to a slightly different place so Steve Harmison's test bowling average is 31.8 something but if you exclude that world 11 game it's 31.94. He took 222 test wickets for England and four for the World at 11. I've often thought, what are they going to do if down the track they decide that that World 11 test match doesn't count towards the record? It's entirely possible given the way that status varies in different eras. I mean, Morley takes 800 test wickets exactly, but I think six of them were in the World 11 game. So he'd be adjusted back to 794. I'm not sure if anyone would want that to be the case. Anyway, uh, the reason why I, I wanted to mention Harmy, though, is that we always talk about 2009 being the swan song for Andrew Flintoff, but it's easily overlooked that uh, Harmy comes back for the last couple of test matches of that series and at the Oval, uh, in his what turns out to be his final test and final innings bowling for England, picks up three for 54 uh, when Australia are batting in the fourth innings, which mean that England win the match and in turn win the Ashes. So yes, it, it was Andrew Flintoff's series in many respects and him signing off, but it was Harmy's as well and yes, finished with 226 test wickets technically, 222 of those for England at an average of 31.94. Or, of course, it could be Ravi Papara's batting average. I'll take either. It's also uh, Jeffrey Dujon's batting average. You may not know that, but I know that. They've got exactly the same one, Dujon, from about 80 tests and Ravi from about 10, so slightly <laughs> different sample sizes, but they ended up with the same numbers. I ended up with a Pakistani pairing. A, a couple of final word... I'll use, loosely use the term favourites um, about one of them. <laughs> favourites, <laughs> literally, with with one. And this all, I, I need to make this about myself. I apologise for this. But at the World T20 in 2016, I had probably the only really good predictive moment of, of, of a cricket career, you know, when we're always asked to say things about what's going to happen. Mm. And it was about six overs into a run chase. Pakistan were chasing Australia's score. Uh, Shade Freddie wasn't in yet. There were a couple of wickets down. And I put online, I said, Adam Zampas, the key to the run chase, he's going to get Umar Akmal and Shade Afridi out by the end of the innings. And about five overs later, he picks up Umar Akmal and then an over later, he picks up Shade Afridi. And it was, you know, one of those days when, when it, it just worked. It just came together. <laughs> now, as it happens, Shade Afridi, also a bowler, uh, took 48 wickets in 27 test matches. Across that period, he bowled 3,194 deliveries, 3,194. 
in Test cricket. Umar Akmal in One Day International cricket scored 3,194 runs. 3,194. Yes, Jeff. And thus it brings them together in a way that let me talk about the story about the one time <laughs> that I guessed something right. And the reason I say Umar Akmal is not necessarily a favourite is that he's a player that we've talked about uh, quite a bit as the player who got suspended for getting his chop out and waving it around at training and then got suspended for an even longer time for spot fixing and corruption. So I, I think we were speaking about him on the show a couple of months ago and it might have been around that time. And so I've got a vibe that Ian Gordon might have picked up 31.94 from Umar Akmal's one-day run telly. That's Beautiful. Beautiful. Nicely linked together. And again, thank you, Ian, for being such a great supporter of the show. Will Sanford, uh, Jeff, $4.62. For me, what jumps out was that I could get my weekly maxi link in. He's bowled 462 balls in Test cricket so far. Uh, we hope that he'll bowl more. Four wickets on debut, wasn't it, Jeff, uh, when he was mm. brought into the side in for India, 2013. Nathan Lyon and all the rest. David Steele was the bank clerk who went to war. His cap number was 462. Uh, but... Um, just a quirky one. Uh, there's a couple of bits that are interesting about 462, but one of those is that it's been made nine times in Test cricket. Seven of those declared, including the first five. So as you work your way through, a team's only been bowled out for 462 on two occasions, but it's been made nine times. I thought that was interesting. That it was just a score that teams pulled the pin on time and time again for no particular reason, just a coincidence, I'm sure, but all the same, good enough for Nerd Pledge. And... Uh, and in terms of an actual feat, uh, 462, it was the unbeaten partnership between David Hooks and Wayne Phillips, which was the highest first-class partnership in Australia uh, until Mark and Steve Waugh uh, ruined it uh, five years later with their partnership of 464. But Hooksy and Flipper came together and added 462 unbeaten against Tasmania at Adelaide Oval in the final Sheffield Shield round of 1986-87. Of course, Hooks finished with an unbeaten 306, Phillips an unbeaten 213. They go on to win by an innings. It wasn't enough to revive Hooks's uh, career for Australia. Of course, he had been left out of the Australian side after the Boxing Day Test match that year. He wouldn't play for them again, but he did make over 10,000 runs for South Australia. He kept playing there until the early 90s, made 29 centuries along the way. And yes, he doesn't have the the international career, I suppose, that many thought that he would have. But for SA, he was one of their greatest sons. He'll always have that triple turn. He'll always have that 34-ball century against Victoria back in 1982 and that partnership of 462 with Wayne Phillips. And we should be very clear that this is Wayne B. Phillips, not Wayne N. Phillips, <laughs> uh, the two Wayne Phillipses who represented Australia. We've, we talked a lot about Wayne N. Phillips earlier this year, disproportionately so, given the amount of international cricket that he played. But um, <laughs> I'm glad he got his money's worth on the show. The two Steve Smiths and the two Wayne Phillipses uh, for Australia. That's the end of the new numbers on Nerd Pledge for this week. If you want to send us one, just go to patreon.com slash the final word and you can sign up and set us a number there. Now we need to go back through the numbers we didn't get. We have some guesses, we throw them out there and then uh, people let us know via the patron DMs if we haven't got it right and sometimes they tell us what the answer is, sometimes they just nudge us a little bit closer to the pin. The first of those is Chris Unwin. We talked about another massive partnership this time between a couple of Lancashire batsmen in Neil Fairbrother and Michael Atherton. Uh, Chris said 
he was thinking about bowling figures from a 90s test match, which was repeated quite a bit this summer as a tribute when the Windies came over. Well, with that level of cluage... Adam sniffed it out in no time. Yeah, it wasn't hard to work out in the end. Uh, thanks to Chris for being an excellent correspondent. He really kind of gets Nerd Pledge. I, I like the fact that he intentionally sent us down the, the route of Len Hutton initially. Then was pleased to see us uh, land on Fairbrother and Atherton, but he was going more obscure than that and uh, specifically talking about Mike Watkinson. So I watched on uh, the BBC, they had highlights of the 1995 test match between England and West Indies at Old Trafford. During lockdown, one of those Saturday night programs they put together, fabulous test match. Uh, but Watkinson's a really interesting storyline through it. He's about to turn 34 and just getting his first game for England, and it's at his home ground of Old Trafford there in Manchester. Uh, so he he takes wickets in the first innings, a couple of them, gets 37 from 107 balls, batting with Jack Russell and Dominic Cork when he gets his chance uh, in the second innings of the match. The, the next morning, Dominic Cork, of course, famously um, takes a hat trick, but. It's Mike Watkinson who takes three for 64, who's just as important in terms of the way the West Indies second innings plays out. And he gets Sherwin Campbell just as he's getting going. And, and Jimmy Adams caught and bowled uh, for one, who I don't think he's quite ranked number one batsman in the world at that point, but he certainly had been about a year or so earlier, so important in that Windy's middle order at the time. So England go on to win that test by six wickets, which was quite the achievement at the time, given they were in that rebuilding mode. Uh, they draw the six-test series to all. Imagine having a six-test match series now. It's something we'd we'd absolutely kill for, Jeff, but that's what they did occasionally in England in the 90s. Uh, they had a high-scoring draw uh, to finish at Nottingham and likewise at the Oval, but Mike Watkinson they were his figures in the second innings there. He went on to be the coach at Lancashire. He was really important to Jimmy Anderson's development uh, in the early 2000s and left a, a big legacy at that club. Very good, Adam. Tick that one off. A revisit from Michael W. Fallon with $2.16. I shouted about Clary Grimmett a lot. Uh, he replied that he was excited to see his two sixteen come up and happy that I got to flex on my favourite, uh, but not, not correct. His number is inspired by Yassir Shah's performance in the Adelaide Test last year. What did you make of that? Well, just that I went back and thought it must be the you know the number of balls he faced when making that hundred, but it wasn't. It was two one, two, it was two one three. It was two thirteen. Our number, our final word number. So maybe yeah. when you're doing another around on that, you can talk about Yassir in greater depth. But I think I did. I, I think I had Yassir in the two thirteen oh, right. episode. Okay. I reckon. Okay. I, I reckon he was among those numbers there. Well, one ninety seven um, was the, were the was the runs he went for when. Polling, none for 197 at 6.15 mm. runs and over as David Warner and Marnus Labashane and I think Matthew Wade as well had their way with him, uh, unfortunately. What I love about, I wrote about Yassir for the Independent during the, the Test Series this summer when England were playing Pakistan. You would never know it. I mean, the smile on his face whenever he's playing cricket, I mean, he just loves it. And even, you know, I think he just sort of senses that there are good days, there are bad days. Of course, he's the, the fastest bowler ever to 200 test wickets, got there quicker than Clary. So he, he's got serious game, but uh, has had some pretty ordinary days in Australia. Yeah, there's another link to the 216. Clary Grimmett took 216 test wickets. Yassir Shah went past that even faster, which is absurd given how fast Clarence did it. So I was looking at this, I was thinking, okay, inspired by Yassir Shah doesn't necessarily mean it, it related to his performance directly it's got to be related to it in some way I was also thinking 216 balls so then I was looking at other tail end batsmen who might have faced 216 balls uh, the 
worst batsman I could find, though, anything related to that was David Williams, who was briefly the West Indies keeper in the late 90s, batted for 216 minutes once, which was remarkable because he was really shit at batting and averaged 13 in test cricket. Didn't he, he, drop, didn't he drop Steve Waugh on not many before War made his 200 at Jamaica? Probably. he. I think he wrapped up about 99 or 98, 99 maybe. Mm. But he was he was in that era coming along after Jeff Dujon, who we mentioned earlier, who was previously the West Indies keeper and had the same batting average as Ravi Papara. Anyway, scratch all of that. So I couldn't <laughs> find anything related to shit batsmen who'd batted 216 anything. And then I realised the century's a red herring. It's about the bowling performance. You talked about the naught for 197. Okay, fine. So... We're not thinking Yassir Shah, but we're thinking a leg spinner who conceded a lot of runs at Adelaide. In 2006, at Adelaide, in the Test match, Shane Warne conceded 216 runs against England in the Ashes Test. The difference is that Shane Warne managed to pick up five wickets. He got a second innings, which Yassir Shah didn't get, um, and got to bowl a second time and took four for not many after one for 167 in the first. So 216 is Shane Warne at the Adelaide Oval. I hope you're right. I suspect you're not. That's quite tangential, but uh, Michael W. Fallon, you can let us know if we've got it right. (laughs) Inspired by a leg spinner at Adelaide Oval who also conceded a lot of runs? Come on. That's a link. That's a link. Again, it kind of comes back to if we've got it wrong, tell us we've got it right. Lie to us, as Bon Jovi Mm, once said. 190 is Lou Southall. We said Joe Root's 190 against South Africa on his captaincy to build Lords in 2017. Uh, Lou replied by saying that our podcast has been a great listen during this crazy year and they love how one number can generate so many different stories. And we were on the right track as far as England captains were concerned, but an earlier one, and that made it pretty easy for me as well to work out that it was going to be Alec Stewart. Uh, Alistair Cook also made a, a 190 as captain uh, in India in 2012, but it has to be Alec who made 190 against Pakistan at Edgbaston in that fiery summer of 1992. It's a high-scoring draw to start the series after the first day of it was washed out. Uh, he sort of took Wakar Yunus down. That wouldn't be a sign of things to come, though, because once Wakar got Wazim with him and Wazim was available for the second test match, they went on and ran a mark, and we all know what happens after that. But I just when I took a look at Stewart's numbers overall. Uh, opening the batting, he averaged 45, and not opening the batting, it was far less than that, a 40 average overall. So he only opened the batting in a third of his test matches, though, of course, because often he was being asked to, to wicket-keep or, or captain the side. So, you know, there's a number of ways of interpreting Alex Stewart's career, but he had to do a lot of tough jobs often at the same time. And I thought I'd close by noting that Alex Stewart has one of the most nerd-pledge stats of all time. So he made 8,463 test runs, Jeff. And his birthday is the 8th of the 4th, 63. Isn't that brilliant? Isn't that just... Perfect. Isn't that just... I, I mean, you, you, you could never... I mean, I, I wonder who the first reporter was who worked that out, that his tally <laughs> of test runs was, was the same as his birth date in his final test. Uh, I guess he played his final test in 2003, but it's a corker. I, I bet that Andrew Sampson knew before Alex Stewart was off the ground that day. <laughs> I, I, I'll bet you any money that that's the case. Yeah, Alex Stewart, still one of those people who is kind of frightening to stand near because he's like so scarily fit oh, and, yeah. and sort of upright that he looks like 
he could kill you in three different ways before you noticed it was happening. I don't think I've ever said a word to him and I probably wouldn't dare. So that wraps up Lou Southall. Peter Dowling, we've been working at this number for a couple of weeks and I'm on it. I've cracked it at last. Uh, Adam last week was talking about 42.9. The number was 429 uh, and we were advised that there was a decimal point in there so Adam was talking about 42.9 as Chris Rogers test average that was not the case because it has to be a Tasmania link Peter Dowling is a, a passionate Tasmanian and all Peter Dowling numbers have a Tasmanian link so there that was there and Peter then said don't forget the number in my Twitter handle which we worked out was 33 now Peter's one of those people who's been on Twitter for quite a while, which means the handle's probably chosen a while ago, you know, you maybe seven years, maybe ten years, who knows? Twitter's been around for quite a while. So it's going to be a player who's around at that time, a player who was around at that time who wore the number 33 on the back of his one-day international shirt was Shane Watson, a player who played for Tasmania with Shane Watson three seasons in the early 2000s uh, with over 50 matches for Tassie. So was it a Shane Watson number? Test average 35.19, no. First class average almost 42.5, not 42.9. Bugger, not quite there. But in the 26 first class matches that Shane Watson played for Tasmania specifically, he did average exactly 42.9. Oh, beautifully done. And thank you, Peter, for making us work for it there. Uh, That's brilliant. Peter, so she's Cricket Tragic 33 on Twitter, which is where uh, Peter mostly communicates with us, but drawing it through there, back through Watto and Tasmania and that stint, that's that's a delightful way to, to close the loop on that number four to nine. Nickel Venkatesh uh, at two one three. We've had a couple of goes at this. We knew there was a Derbyshire link. We went with uh, Peter Kirsten having made a two one three. There was also a crazy chase in two thousand and six, uh, which you detailed. Uh, Nickel replied that he enjoyed the Derbyshire stories. However, we weren't quite right. He wanted to direct us to a piece in the Night Watchman, issue number twenty nine of the Night Watchman, so earlier this year, uh, written by Mick Pope about. Billy Bestwick, uh, he says, a player who can provide a few stories. Now, I haven't yet read that piece in question, but I have taken a quick glimpse at Billy Bestwick's career. He was a miner who played for Derbyshire until he was 50 years old. Apparently, he was all shoulder, a few steps to the crease, and we really wang it down. Uh, He played for 27 years either side of the First World War. He played from 1898 through to 1925, so a really long career. But he started with Derbyshire. Then he played club cricket in South Wales, turned out for Glamorgan just before the war, came back to Derbyshire in his 40s and ended up taking 1,457 wickets at 21.3213. I'm now looking forward, of course, to reading that piece by Mick Pope in The Night Watchman. If you want to do so and and uh, and want to do so a fraction cheaper, of course, we have a discount code with The Night Watchman with the final word, TFW20. If you pop that in uh, when you're buying an edition of The Night Watchman, the Wisdom Quarterly, you get yourself a 20% discount. So it all ties in really nicely. Thank you, Nikhil. That's 213. Can't argue with that. Uh, that's the end of our revisits. Uh, a little bit of correspondence on some of the answers we got right. Alexander Scott, uh, who had a number of 234. It was about a test match in which both Sid Barnes and Don Bradman made 234 batting together. Alex replied, delighted to have my nerd pledge read out. Uh, 
but my 234 was actually tribute to a memorable day out watching Anya and Donald's super fast double ton at Colwyn Bay in 2016. I think that means more to you than it does to me, Adam. There's so much about this I loved. It was some great Twitter uh, back and forth this week between Alexander and myself and a couple of others who got involved in that thread. And Ira Donald uh, made, uh, yes, he made a 234 for Glamorgan uh, back a few years ago as a, a youngster. But he did so in just 136 deliveries. He hit his 200. He reached his 200 in 123 balls, which equals Ravi Shastri's record for the quickest double hundred in first-class cricket. And I'll have you know, Jeff, that an iron or Nye was on the shortlist for names. Well, certainly at my end, had we had a boy, I wanted to um, keep the Welsh link through our family. And Nye Bevan, of course, who was a, a very famous uh, Labor minister in the Attlee government who was responsible for the NHS. I thought that'd be a really nice link through. But Rachel had other ideas. And in the end, uh, Winnie was a girl, so it was a moot point. But uh, <laughs> Anaya and Donald uh, did have that massive day out at Colwyn Bay, which I should add, we went for a brief holiday before Christmas last year, before Winnie was born. We went to Colwyn Bay and we're looking forward to getting back there when well, when time permits and certainly when uh, when the people of Wales are out of their, their short and sharp lockdown as it's been described. So if you're listening in Wales, I uh, hope you're doing okay. It must be rough there at the moment, but hopefully things will get back to normal sooner rather than later. Tim Gilkerson wrote to say that we got his number right, the Barramundi Fragrant Harbour number. I've learned from a couple of our correspondents during the week that Hong Kong actually means Fragrant Harbour when translated. That's the, the original meaning of the word. I'm not sure if that's in Cantonese or Mandarin. They mostly speak Cantonese in Hong Kong, but uh, or whether that's the mainland term for it. But in any case, we got that number right. 323 was to do with the Hong Kong national team. And Tim wanted us to know that his son plays for the Kowloon Cricket Club in Hong Kong and has played for Hong Kong under-16s. Apologies <laughs> if I've mentioned that before. Dads, he says. So I, I, I note, Adam, that you you will look forward to embarrassing your children in a similar way in a few years' time. I, I do indeed. I, I, we were just talking at breakfast, actually, about how when can I get Winnie her first cricket bat? Is it when she turns one or two or whatever it is? But I'm sure they will come a time. One, seven, six, Jeff was Luke Kneebone, who we've been really enjoying talking to on the DMs. We said Mitchell Marsh, his run tally in South Africa of 2018 after we were steered that way with a couple of excellent clues. And Luke says, yep, you've nailed it, fellas. Well done. And he'll have to think of a new number now. And that's the beauty of Nerd Pledge. If we solve your number, you can adjust it. You can go again. That's part of the fun on Storytime. It, it never stops. It never ends. If you're like Jesse G, you can just make us turn out every other week. Uh, Richard Bond McNally, El Presidente, the, uh, the leader of the great nation of the final word, has also written to us saying... Incorrect about Ricky Ponting, incorrect about Dick Spooner, correct when it came to Neil Fairbrother. Uh, as soon as his name came up on the last story time, I knew my number would be coming up next week, said Richard Bond McNally. Never mind the Lara years. As a 12-year-old in 1990, I thought I was living in a time when batting records were being ripped up by a generation of geniuses. At that point, I had no idea that all the runs were mainly because of a reduced seam and flat pitches. <laughs> Still, Fairbrother was always my favourite Lancashire batsman and whenever I see the numbers 863 or 366, I can't help but smile. Yeah, I wonder whether that was, yeah, is it 89 or 90 where they where they use, there's a season where the batting averages are ridiculously inflated because of the, the ball they, they used. That, that might have been that year with Fairbrother's 
366, which we've talked about an awful lot over the last couple of weeks. And to round it off in terms of uh, messages we received telling us we've got it right, Greg Sykes, 203. We had a number of goes at this, Jeff, but we finally got there last week. Uh, you said it was Chris Harris's one-day international wicket tally. Uh, you got there via a clue about a postman and Gavin Larson. And Greg replied that uh, we had done well. He enjoyed the guesses. He enjoyed the work that went behind it. And he noted that Chris Harris is just about his favourite cricketer of all time. He goes on to say, I think it's the English underdog thing, but someone who could bowl a bit, bat a bit, field a bit. That dibbly-dobbly team that New Zealand had in the 1990s were my favourite team ever. And because Greg Sykes kept us going for quite a few weeks on that 203 Greg's our Seabus Super Performer of the Week. On the podium, big gold medal around your neck. Thank you, Greg, and thank you to everybody who's played the game over the last few weeks and who's still playing it now. The numbers are still coming in. If you want to join in, patreon.com slash the final word. And as we mentioned off the top, uh, with the Stuart McGill live show coming up, no better time if you've been sort of sitting on the fence thinking about when you may want to... Uh, pledge and get involved in story time a great moment to do so and indeed if you just want to come along to the McGill show and be involved as a, a pledger for a month or two that's fine as well we get it if you just want to drop in and out we know it's tough times at the moment we don't want to overplay our hand here but if you are on our patron page you will get a link to watch McGill Art live that's story time for the week the historical part we'll be back with more of that next weekend and we'll be back after a brief break on this show to talk to Dan Leapke. Hi, I'm Isha Gua, and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Levin. Jeff, before cutting to Dan Leapke, a reminder that Wisdom Cricket Monthly is now on shelves for November. Uh, we have a very attractive deal, a very attractive deal. Uh, if you want to buy it, six-month subscription, just 10 quid or $14.99 if you're in Australia. That is an absolute steal. Uh, in this edition, as we mentioned last week, they go through the 12 best batsmen in England, including an exclusive interview with Zach Crawley, who was the breakout star of the summer in 2020. Seal Berry looks at the season in review, a season like no other. Michael Holdings in there with John Sturm. We're looking at a number of other things, including the England women sweeping the West Indies. And Josh Whittacombe, uh, the comedian imagines his perfect day at the cricket. So simply jump on bit.ly forward slash WCMTFW. That link is in the show notes and pick up the best cricket mag in the world. This is the final word. And as Jeff Lemon, I'm very happy to be joined today by Dan Liebke. Uh, welcome back to the show after about a year since your last book came out, Dan. Yeah, th- thanks for having me back. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about yet, yet another book that I'm on here to plug relentlessly. <laughs> it's the only reason you talk to us anymore. Yes. But, but the, look, the last one was the 50 greatest Australian cricket matches in the last 50 years. You really went to the well on the concept for book two. You, you and the publishers, you went down the, the thought <laughs> cave. You know, you, you sat in there, you meditated for a couple of weeks and you thought, what if we wrote about the 50 greatest cricketers uh, yeah. in Australia in the last 50 years? Yeah, well, I, I don't think I don't think writing about the matches is enough to get people worked up. I, I think to, mm. to get people really angry about something you've written, you've, you've really got to say, this cricketer is better than this cricketer. People don't really care about saying, this match is better than this match. But if you say, no, yeah. this cricketer is better than this cricketer, then they're really going to get upset with you. And, and that, that's the goal with, with any kind of book like this. 
How many complaints have you had that Sachin is not on the list, doesn't feature anywhere? <laughs> well, I, I, I've managed to keep that secret so far, but I'm, I'm looking looking forward to people getting mm. annoyed about that. At some point. He's not in there. I can tell he's you, I've read there, it, no. and he's, there's nary a mention of SRT to be found. The concept that makes this not like some incredibly dull sort of airport book is that you're allowed to be funny. Yes. And so you wrote about the 50 matches in in terms of what was most amusing about them and you've gone about these 50 cricketers in roughly the same way. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, if, if I just sit down and write boring biographies of all the cricketers, I'm not, not sure anyone's going to be particularly interested in reading that. So mm. ho- hopefully I've, I've written something entertaining about at least, well, I don't know, what, what, what 80% of them? Well, let's go with 80%. <laughs> As far as the final word goes and our interests and making people mad about positioning, why in the hell is Glenn Maxwell only 38? 38 out of 50? Are there really 37 better cricketers that Australia's produced than Glenn Maxwell? It's hard to imagine, isn't it? I've, um, I, I, to, to be honest, uh, I, I think I'm going to have as many people mad that uh, Glenn Maxwell's not number one as I am. Everyone outside the final word listenership are going to be furious that he's in the top 50. So I, I, mm. I think I've established a fine middle ground there well sean marsh wasn't it didn't make the 50 so the, that's you know that will be enough to upset some people yeah but shane yes. watson does so you know as, as far as polarizing faves go there's definitely a couple in there yeah i, I was i was very keen to put what in there I, I made i made a pretty impassioned case that what what i what is actually quite high in there and I, basically my argument was based Mostly on his white ball stuff, he he, he mm. really does deserve to be ranked quite highly. Yeah, yeah, had a career that I think is underrated by most people. Good, good old Watto. He is um, statistically one of the best one-day international run chasers in the history of the game. Has a prodigious record in chases, and yeah, people do tend to forget about that. Yeah, his, his giant front, front pad seems to loom in mm. most people's memories. <laughs> and being stitched up by having to go for. DRS reviews when he was number six and everyone else was out and he just yeah. had to do it anyway by, by team policy. Um, as far When you do the rankings, how much of the weighting goes to greatness and how much goes to funniness? Because you've always said that funny cricket is preferable to good cricket. I, I wish I could have focused more on the funniness. Sadly, I, I think given, given the, the title of the book, uh, I, I had to at least feign some level of you know serious, well, perhaps not journalism, but serious... You know, cricket writersmanship, and I, 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 I try. I tried to put in, the, you know, rank them pretty much where they belong in terms of actual cricketing ability, with maybe just a, the, a little tweak here and there for how much they entertain me. Did you um, pick up on that clip in the last few days of the end of a game in in one of the European leagues with the, the batters trying to get two runs off the last ball when it went through to the keeper and they were running buys? Yeah, that, that, those guys are absolute heroes. The only disappointment is they didn't come back for a third. They did it so well to get the second run. Why, why not just turn around and go for number three and, and actually win the match instead of sending it to, to a super over? Because I think they actually lost the super over, didn't they? Well, they. I, I think it was a um, an institution I've never heard of called a golden ball where they oh, was face it? Okay. one okay. more delivery or something like that. I mean, it, it sounds like a prosthetic device, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I suppose as you say, but particularly yeah, if the throw at the because um, throw at the bowlers end missed, you might as well give it a shot and, and see if you can make it for a third and completely confuse everybody. But as far as funny cricket goes, that was definitely up there. It was extraordinary. It was. I mean, it's very much a uh, a indoor cricket kind of ploy. The ball's always live in indoor cricket, so there's always you know some sneaky bastard at the non-striker's end trying to 
call someone through for a quick single. So I, I, I very much appreciated it. In your listing, there's one shared entry, which is Ryan Harris and Bruce Reed. Uh, is this because they both had part of a career and never able to really fulfil what went on? Or, or is this because their statistical records are basically identical? It's a little bit of both, actually. I, I, could, I can give you the, the scoop on this. There's, a, there's an exclusive reason why those two have, have the have share an entry, and it is partially because they've got the exact, almost the exact same stats. But it's also because I, I wrote the original 50, and I had a very clear criteria as to mm. you know when is the last 50 years. I said to myself, all right, any player's career started after 1970, you are eligible. Uh, you can go in the book, and I wrote all that, and I came up with my list of 50 cricketers, and those two were in there. Then I sent it off to the publisher, and the publisher said, oh, we, we kind of thought that Ian Chappell would be in this book. I said, no, no, Ian Chappell started his career before 1970. And they said, yeah, but he really should be in the book because he's, you know, such a major figure of the 1970s. So then I thought, oh, God, okay. All right, so the new rule is you had to have a significant part of your career in right. in the last 50 years. And then I said, like, oh, well, if Ian Chappell's in, bloody Doug Walters has to be in as well. So yep. I've got to chuck two people out. So, sorry, Michael Slater fans. Slats, Slats got the boot. Slats, Slats was hanging around there around number 50. I, I can't remember the exact who was 50 and who was 49. And they're like, well, I don't want to get rid of Bruce Reed or Ryan Harris, whichever one it was. I said, oh, well, they're, they're so similar. Let's just merge the two of them, cut half the words out of each of them, and there yeah, you go. Now I've got 51 cricketers in the top 50. <laughs> well, so there you go. That's I a mean- scoop. Yeah, that, that is a... I mean, final word listeners get the inside story on how this came to pass and the extremely rigorous process yes. um, that came with vetting these <laughs> these 50 cricketers. Who, you know, I mean, it's your book. If you want yeah. to squeeze a few more in there, you know. Yeah. And that's like... We can sort of notionally say you didn't say who was number zero, which is where the very best person would be. So maybe, maybe that's where Glenn Maxwell is. Um, maybe. Activity corner. This is <laughs> this is part of the book. Is that at the end of each entry, you provide an activity that you think that um, people, you know, readers should employ in relation to this particular player. Now, something for the kids to do. Um, yeah. The the one for for Glenn Maxwell, which I'd like to read out, is um, write down the rules of Maxwell ball. The rules should uncover incredible highs like deciding in a World Cup match to score Australia's fastest one-day century or commentating your own bullet throw from the outfield to run out some fool. They should also cover the lows like leaving a ball that's pitched on middle stump or hating being called the big show. Once you're satisfied with the list of rules, throw them in the bin. Maxwell Ball doesn't play by rules. You must have enjoyed this particular part of the process of coming up with the activities for each player. Yeah, the activity corner, that, that was a pretty late addition because I was looking through and going, well, some of these are funny. Some of them don't actually have that much joke, many jokes in them. So mm. may, maybe I'll see if I can pat out the less funny ones with some kind of activity corner. And so, yeah, so I had to go through and then I realised, my God, I've got to do this 50 times. So, But I ma- managed to come up with hopefully amusing, entertaining things for kids and other people who like to interact with their cricket books to go away and do and... So, yeah, that, that, that was good fun. I, I think one of my favourite ones, and now I'm blanking on who, who it belongs to, but there was one where it was uh, try, try and make a... Oh, it was Trippelli, of course. So it was like take the first letter of a cricketer, put it at the end of their name and see how many interesting people you can make, make up out of that. So I think I, 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 think I took Xavier Doherty and made up a, like a, some kind of medical drug, Dohertix, which I, which I think is an entertaining one. 
or you know, it's either a, a drug or a dinosaur or a yes, name yeah. out of Harry Potter, I suppose. The, the yeah, I mean, for you having some level of seriousness in the writing, you know, you you are having to explain why particular players were great or why they were um, why they had an effect on people, why they were mm-hmm. arresting. Was that a particularly challenging part for someone who's not particularly used to being serious about cricket? Oh, well, it was a little bit. I, I put a self-imposed rule that on any any one that I was going to write about, I would only write positively about that cricketer. So, I, like, even if it's some that, you know, in, in the past maybe I've tended to make the occasional joke about, I would try very hard to to put a positive spin on all my jokes. You know, for example, Shane Warne, who I've been known to make the occasional joke about. I, I, I wrote a very nice, nice piece about Warney and I was very positive and said these are very amusing things about Warney and why he's so good. But then I went over to Stuart McGill's piece and... I was uh, about to say <laughs> exactly that. that you, you got all of your Warn sledging out of the way in the McGill chapter. <laughs> yes, yeah. So, yeah, but, but, yeah that, that, that was the plan anyway. That was the rule. <laughs> Um, a couple of unexpected ones, like the the 80s women's captain Lynn Larson. It's good to see her mm-hmm. get a run. Did you learn much that was new ab- about some of these players, or was it mostly things you already had in your head? To be honest, the, the women the women was the one where I learned the the most because you know, like I think most men of my age, uh, you grew up, you didn't hear anything about women's cricket honestly until the last five years, ten years. So yeah, a, a lot of these ones. With the men, I you know I could dredge it up. I could go, oh, yeah, I remember this and this, and these are the moments, and blah blah blah. The, with the women, I, I actually had to go away and do some serious research and crunch some numbers and go, all right, well, who was this person? Why were they important? And track down some information. So it was good. It was it was educational. Of course, sad, sadly, the the hardest part is you you can't find much video footage of them out there, so you can't yeah. actually see them in action. Yeah, exactly that. You, you you know hear about the early parts of Catherine Fitzpatrick's career, for mm. instance, and there are a few clips, you know, there are a few yeah. moments that, that are sort of tantalising because you you can watch a few dismissals and think, holy shit, you know, I, yeah. I want to see more of this. Like, where's yeah. where's the rest of her career? Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. And, yeah, so that, 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 that was a bit disappointing that you can't find those, but you, you work with what you've got and you go, go back and you read your articles and you try and, try and scrape something together. Any particular favourites to write on, ones you enjoyed more than others when you were in the middle of it, in the flow? I, I particularly enjoyed writing the Steve Waugh one. Uh, again, I, I tried to write that in, and this is incredibly nerdy, the comic book The Watchman, or Watchman, uh, there's a character called Dr Manhattan who sees all time simultaneously, and there's a, a famous chapter of that book which is basically skipping through different times all at once. And so I basically wrote Steve Wars like that, skipping through three different aspects of his career. And that <laughs> amused me, if nobody else. <laughs> well, at the end of it, at least, at least it kept you out of trouble for the last yeah. few months of, of lockdown, yes. I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I, th- I think uh, just as I was finishing the book, we, we were heading into lockdown. COVID was starting to strike everywhere as, as I was writing the last few chapters. Which meant that the, the only positive side about that was that the stats didn't change much for the current players. So it's like, <laughs> all right, we're going to lock these down. They're not going to change at all. 
I've got to say, the, the same thought occurred to me when I was writing about um, about last year and the, the Ashes and the World Cup last year, because I'd, I'd covered everything up to the end of the Australian summer. And, you know, there weren't any pesky sort of midwinter tours in which yeah. Steve Smith could make another 600s in, in yeah. three tests in Bangladesh to just, you know, really screw up where I'd left the book. So it, and it should be out before they've played another test match, December 17, when they start playing the test matches. So, look, I'm sorry, everyone else, we're sorry, but slight silver yeah. linings for me and Dan. On very, very, very thoughtful pandemic uh, to, to <laughs> save all the cricket writers have six months wait between writing and publication. Is there another one in the works? Is there, you know, 50 greatest test match lunches? Or, or I, I, yeah, I, I think it depends upon how this one sells, but uh, assuming it sells well enough, I, I'm, I'm trying really hard to convince them to let me do 50 reasons why cricket is the greatest sport and just let me write on anything I want to write on. Yeah, I mean, because I would have thought you would have petitioned to do the 50 funniest cricketers rather than That, that was my original pitch a couple of years ago. Mm. Can I do the... Well, I originally said the 40 funniest cricketers because I've got a series of web posts and I was just mm. going to rewrite the whole thing. And then I said, no, we need 50 and we want you to write about something a bit more solid than that. So I, I, I was hoping to work my way to 50 funniest cricketers, but I, I, I think I'm, I think I'm going to go for the 50 reasons why it's the greatest sport, just, just because that gives me maximum flexibility. And this all depends. Buy the book and then I can write that book. Yes, yes. Max Wellalum flexibility. The the book title with many caveats in it is the 50 greatest Australian cricketers yes. of the past 50 years with an asterisk in the title. It's a real yes. power move to have, I mean, any kind of uh, punctuation in the title, but particularly an asterisk. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's useful for getting rid of Bradman, of course. So I, I, I did... Uh Put that in the. Well, you explained uh, that in the intro that you've, you, there's no point talking about it if Bradman's in the equation because, exactly. and we find that on Story Time every week. You know, half of the pretty much any number over two hundred is going <laughs> to be a score that Bradman made, or yeah. a series total that Bradman made, or an average that Bradman had. Uh, at some point, you just have to say, "All right, Don, you've had your time, yeah. you've had your moment. Uh, give, why don't you go and pick Frank Ward again?" <laughs> You know? Yeah, he's such a show off. Uh, the, the annoying thing was, e- even with that introduction, which explicitly exclu- excludes him from consideration, I did mm. tend to write about him. Like, he just pops up in all these places. Oh, this guy was the best since Bradman. No, this guy was. And I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. He just worms his way in there, doesn't yeah. he? He's just always there, squeaking in. His yeah. little squeaky voice, and he's he's like five foot one, so no one notices when he he sort of slips in in the background. And yeah. so the next thing you know, he's averaging one hundred and eighty on the tour, and <laughs> it's all about Bradman again. Which we we do we do try to eliminate him. Yeah, <laughs> um, he's he's eradicated as much as possible. Uh, look, it's a bit like certain infestations; you'll never get rid of. No. Of, of all of them, but you just try to keep them under control. We, we've, we're living in Bradman normal. We've got to learn to live with Bradman. <laughs> we'll, we'll never have a policy of full elimination of Bradman. So, 50 Great Australian Cricketers of the past 50 years. It's out through Affirm Press. It's written by Dan Liebke. Uh, very enjoyable read if you want some laughs with your cricket at Christmas time. Uh, thanks, Dan, for chatting to the final word. We'll see you next time you crank out another edition. That's the plan. We'll, uh, yeah, speak to you then. This is story time from the final word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. We come once again to the end of a program. Uh, your weekend listening is done. We'll be back 
in the middle of the week, probably Wednesday. It's usually Wednesday, isn't it? It's worked out that way for our weekly show with the news, the interests, the frivolities, the absurdities of the cricket world for another week. And uh, then the following weekend for more cricket history stories and more Nerd Pledge. It's going to be a fun episode during the week. Of course, we're wrapping up a big Shield round, plenty going on today. Sean Marsh making a century. We've got a great interview coming up uh, uh, on our Tuesday night, Wednesday morning show as well. So keep your ears open for that. And as we mentioned a couple of times, Stuart McGill on the 12th of November, 8pm on the east coast of Australia. 9am if you're in London and you want to skive off work and hang out with us on Zoom for an hour or so with the Great League Spinner and that'll all be in the show notes but the easiest way of getting involved patreon.com forward slash the final word the final word is produced by Bad Producer Productions we say produced so many times in that sentence (laughs) it's edited by Dave Collins and it is supported by everybody on Patreon and everyone who listens in thanks to all of you thanks for listening we'll see you next time have a nice weekend I had to go about it